Well, let's make our way back to our seats. I want to open up in a word of prayer and ask for God's help as we uh, open God's word here together. So let's pray together, church family. Father, I'm thankful, Lord, for today and for the buzz in the room during the first and second service here. And thankful, God, for um, the kids at the brook, God. Lord, when we see them, they're, they're filled with all kinds of cuteness. But Lord, when we see them, we also see what they might be one day. And Lord, we want to be faithful stewards of these little hearts. And God, I pray that we would have wisdom to continue to raise them up so that they could be mighty women and men of God someday. So help us toward that end. God, I pray for our youth who are here today. Thank you for them, God. I pray you give them courage in their schools to be light in the midst of darkness. God, I pray for each of us who are adults and young adults. And God, I ask that you would give us a a renewed focus and fervor to love you more dearly, God during these Christmas weeks, oh God. And Father, I pray that in all things, you would be lifted high in our midst. God, as we open your word right now, I ask that your spirit would empower me, that you'd give me words to speak, that you'd give me uh, just insight, God, and that you would move in each of our hearts. And truthfully, God, we we pray that for the rest of the churches in our community, Lord, the other faithful men and women who are serving you alongside of us in this Montclair, Belmont, Cragen, Dunning area. Lord, we pray for our brothers and sisters at City Lights, at Belmont at Assembly of God, at New Life Montclair, at Bethany Baptist Church, at Victory Worship Center, at Grace, God, and for other churches around us, God. May they flourish, God. God, we pray that they would have uh, just your vision and your passion. And that, Lord, as you would cause them, we pray you would cause them to increase, God, and to make disciples. And Lord, I pray that their growth and excitement would spur us on to further growth and excitement. And as a family, Lord, as one church in different locations, we, God, would represent you, unified and and co-laboring together. So Lord, speak right now, I pray, even through me, and be gracious in this way, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, man, it's good. It's good to be uh, opening God's Word with you guys today. It's hard to believe Christmas is a week away. Um, You know, you guys have been busy throughout the season. A lot of things have been taking place. But I'm glad to be here because Christmas is an important time of the year. It's an important time for us to refocus on what it's all about. And, you know, as we are going through our Christmas series, we're looking at passages in the Bible that give us a, 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 a picture of what God's people hoped God would do by sending Jesus. And for hundreds of years, thousands of years, God's people were longing, saying, God, when are you going to send the one who's going to save me? When are you going to save the one to deliver us? And the beauty of Christmas is it's the culmination, the fulfillment of all that God has done in saving his people. And, you know, throughout the Old Testament of the Bible, that's the first portion of the Bible, there's 39 books And throughout the Old Testament, God's people were waiting for Jesus. And oftentimes, God would give them a message in the midst of their circumstances. And their circumstances were usually pretty dark. They were pretty downcast. Life had become difficult, sometimes because of others' actions, but oftentimes because of God's own people rebelling from them. They kept God at arm's length. 
And in the midst of their rebellion, in the midst of the darkness that came over them, God would issue this word of hope, this this silver lining in the midst of things. You see, for many of them, they felt like wickedness seemed to always win, that death seemed to dominate, that hate seemed to heighten, that rage seemed to rise up and run rampant. And you know, in the book of Isaiah, the days in which God was speaking were called days that were filled with thick darkness. Just picture that, thick darkness, the the kind of darkness where you feel that you can cut it with a knife. And in the midst of those days, God showed up and spoke to his people and gave them a message, even when he would try to keep them at arm's length. And he oftentimes reminded them that the thick darkness they were experiencing in their lives was a result of them extracting God from their lives like you extract a tooth from your mouth. And the result of that is darkness. And as you hear my description of the days in which the Old Testament and the Bible was often written, you might hear that and think, man, that that sounds a lot like our our circumstances now. I mean, our, our world feels dark. As of this morning... In our city of Chicago, there have been 721 homicides. Let that sink in. I mean, it's 365 days a year. 721 homicides in this place we call home. There was 495 last year, which is a 45% increase. Our days are dark. There is poverty in our country, the richest country in the history of the world. And people are going hungry among us. There's political infighting. You know, just on the news, there's domestic abuse by prominent athletes as recent as yesterday. And so we we look around and we see the world superpowers, you know, capturing drones and, and talking things to one another. We're like, our world is pretty dark. Our city is pretty dark. And so the thick darkness that God's people experienced in Isaiah's day is very similar to the thick darkness we experience now because the brokenness they experienced then is identical to the brokenness we experience now. But what I love about God, and I'll never understand the depth of his love and his mercy and his kindness, is that even when we keep him at arm's length, he shows us mercy. And so the book of Isaiah is Isaiah, this prophet of God, who's talking to his, God's people saying, man, y'all messed up. You guys are, are turning from God. You're turning to idols. You try to go to mediums and other spiritual people who they think could raise the dead and get a message from a dead person when the living God is talking to you. And he tells them, you've got to turn from your wicked ways. Times were dark. In the midst of that darkness, in the book of Isaiah, God gives a message in Isaiah chapter 9. And in the pew Bibles in front of you, there's page 573. You can meet us there. Page 573. Isaiah chapter 9. And if you don't own a Bible, consider the one in the pew in front of you our gift to you. You can take that one home. We want you to own God's word because God speaks to us through it. So if you don't own a Bible, please take the one in front of you. We're on page 573 in that Bible. Isaiah chapter 9. And while God's people lived in thick darkness, this is the message that God gives to Isaiah to share with his people. And I want you to think about this, church. What's the thick darkness surrounding your life right now, personally? 
We, we talked about government. We talked about society. We talked about our city. But what's your thick darkness? What are the things that concern you, the trials you're experiencing? Because the word that God gives to his people then is the word he wants to apply to you today. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. This is what God's word says. The people who walked in darkness. Can you say darkness? Have seen a great light. Say great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. Say joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. I'm going to pause there. God says to his people that you live in darkness, but I'm going to bring light. And the light that I bring will establish joy. And that's what I asked in the beginning of the service. Who wants joy? All of us do. And God's saying, but you want a kind of joy that I bring because my joy lasts when life stinks. When life is a mess, when the darkness is swirling, you want a joy that's going to sustain you through that, not a joy that's going to check out at the door when you enter into your trial. God offers a joy that lasts. And God here says through Isaiah, he's bringing light in the midst of darkness. Well, how's he going to do that? Well, God himself is going to step in. When I was a... In the elementary school, I remember walking home from school one day, and there was a kid that was picking on me. My parents are here, so maybe they'll hear this for the first time. I don't know if I ever said this with you. And I was walking with my brother, and this kid who was about three years older than me, he, he shoved me, and I fell to the ground. And if you know my brother, he, he's not a tough guy. He's not the guy to pick a fight. He's the guy to say a joke. But at that moment, he had like this, you know, Papa Bear kind of thing, and he took this kid and shoved him out of the way and said, hey, don't do that to my brother. For me, I was like, yeah, that's great, you know? <laughs> and so then the kid got up like, I'm getting my brother. And we knew whose brother was bigger, so me and my brother like, let's run home. So we ran home. <laughs> I was in a place, I was powerless. This kid was bigger than me. Someone stepped in to protect me. Someone stepped in on my behalf when I could do nothing in the situation. And God is looking at his people. He's saying, your lives are swirling with thick darkness because you've extracted me from your life, but I'm going to step in even in your mess and bring you light. I'm going to do something about it. He says, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. I don't know the history of the Christmas lights, why we hang them on our trees, why we hang them on our doors. Um, You know, some of us have different kinds of Christmas lights at our house. People walk by my house, they're not impressed by our lights. We've got, we've got them over three different windows. They're red. They're nice. I like them. But, but you've seen that house, right? That, that one house that stops traffic. The house that the lights are dancing to the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. And the lights are just flashing, and you're like, what in the world? Like, that's impressive. Because those lights stand out in the darkness. And again, I don't know the history, but it's so fitting that around the Christmas time, we hang up lights at nighttime. It's so fitting that when the sun sets and darkness covers the sky, that lights come on around Christmas. 
Because that's the story. God says, you walked in thick darkness. I have come to shine light in the middle of it. Well, how would God step in on our behalf? How would he shine his light? Well, he doesn't come in as a mighty warrior. He'll do that later. That's still to come. He doesn't come in with a king riding a horse followed by an army just yet. That's later. But, but he enters this world in a humble stable in the small town of Bethlehem. And 700 years before that event, Isaiah says these words. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, he says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God speaks up and says, I'm going to intervene. I'm going to step in on your behalf. I'm going to shed light and darkness, and I'm going to do it through a child. And that child will grow up, and he will be called four things. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. I want us to understand that it is who Jesus is that allows you and I to experience joy when life is dark. It's who he is that allows us to rejoice when things stink. Isaiah says, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. To us, to you. See, the beauty of Christmas is that God came on this earth to redeem people like you and me in darkness. For to us, not to somebody, not to some people, to us, to us, to us, God stepped in. And it says, to us, a son is given, is given and you hear the word is given, you think, by whom? I say, this shirt was given to me. You ask, well, who gave it to you? To, to us, a son is given, but who gave us a son? Well, if you look at verse 7, it says that the zeal of the Lord of hosts will make this happen. To say, God gave us a son. God sent his very own son, Jesus, to come to this earth. And right here in Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, we see that this one would come as a child, a human, who came from God, which means he's divine. And here the God-man, Jesus, would enter this life to bring light and darkness. So when a mess swirls around you, remember that Jesus has come. Isaiah's words in Isaiah 9, 1 are quoted in Matthew 4, 13 through 17. How a people who saw darkness have seen a great light. And then Matthew writes this. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You see, the light of Christmas is applied to us when we, what Jesus says, repent. And to repent is to turn away from the darkness, turn away from the sin in our lives, and turn to Jesus, the child who came and grew up and to save us. And Jesus says, that's how you experience life among us. 
You might remember the 1980s movie called Gremlins. There's these little fuzzy creatures called the Mogwai. And the Mogwai were real cute and cuddly, but there are certain laws that you had to abide by because if you didn't, trouble was on its way. The first one is you can't feed the Mogwai after midnight because if you feed him, he turns into a what? A gremlin. Nor can you get the Mogwai wet because then he turns into a gremlin as well. And if the Mogwai sees light, he just shrivels up and dies. And the same thing is true of the gremlins. See, these creatures started wreaking havoc because the Mogwai was fed after midnight, and now there's gremlins everywhere, and what they're trying to do is shine light on these things in order for them to disintegrate. Well, you know, sin is much like that gremlin, (laughs) wreaking havoc in our lives. And Jesus has come to shed light and do away with it when we put our faith in him. In the New Testament, there's a prostitute who comes to Jesus, forsaken by everyone, rejected, feeling the weight of her own life and experiences. And she comes to Jesus, who is light, and he tells her, you are forgiven. There's a man possessed by a demon who has no hope in the world. He comes to Jesus and finds deliverance from his bondage to sin. And he's delivered. Peter denied Jesus. And Jesus says, follow me. Time and time again, people who are broken like you, broken like me, who are walking in thick darkness, come to Jesus and see light and find deliverance. All because to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. But what's so beautiful is what it is about Jesus that allows him to be light. What it is about Jesus that allows him to deliver us from our darkness. And there are four things that Isaiah says. And the first one is this, that he is the wonderful counselor. The word wonderful is to be full of wonder, wonder wonder-filled. Now, we've we've all received counsel in our lives. Good counsel, like, hey, bypass that street because there's a lot of traffic and go this way. But when someone tells you that, you're not like, that is such wonderful counsel. It's good advice, all right, good. Apply it, you're great. People might give you good advice in all areas of life. But there's only one who is a wonderful counsel, who gives counsel that gives you wonder, amazement. And that is Jesus himself. He he gives us counsel on how to live our lives. He gives us counsel on how to make sense of this life. And if life doesn't make sense for you today, you need to go to the wonderful counselor. And what Jesus tells us is he he takes this world and flips it upside down. He says you got to lose your life in order to gain it. That's wonderful counsel. you got to die in order to live. He came for the sick and not for the healthy. He says the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Jesus went to death in order to give us life. The wonderful counselor, Jesus, has come to give us hope in the midst of our mess. And so many of us are experiencing darkness and challenges in our life. And Jesus is saying, come to me. He didn't tell you, try harder. He didn't say, be better, work harder. But he says, surrender. Come to me. Yes, he'll work things in you. He'll he'll guide you to, to live a life that pleases God. But his counsel for you is to come to him. He's the wonderful counselor. 
but he's not only wonderful counselor, but the second thing Isaiah says is that Jesus is mighty God. I mean, that's mind-blowing. He's mighty God. Now, God is said to be all kinds of things in the Bible. Holy God, righteous God, glorious God, loving God. But, but mighty God is something altogether different. You see, the first time we see this idea of God being a mighty God displayed in the Bible is in the book of Exodus, chapter 19. And it's when God's people have just been delivered out of Egypt. God parted the Red Seas to let his people through it. And when the Egyptian armies came to capture God's people, went through the sea, God caused the waters to crush the enemies. And when Moses and Aaron and Miriam are on the other side of the Red Sea, they start singing praises. And they say, praise God, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. That He has triumphed over his foes. You see, the mighty God is a God who defeats his foes, who defeats our enemies. Here Isaiah says, a child is coming, and he's mighty God. He's going to deal with our enemies. And of course, the greatest of enemy is sin and death. And Satan has brought these about, and Jesus has come to bring victory over them. He is the mighty God. Well, Isaiah goes on to say he is wonderful counselor, mighty God, and everlasting Father. See, the term everlasting Father might sound a bit confusing at first glance. As we read our Bibles, we see that our God is an amazing God, that he has revealed himself as Father, Son, and Spirit. He is one God in three persons. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Spirit. Each is unique and distinct, but all three are God, and they are one God, and we call that the Trinity. It's the tri-unity of God. And so understanding that and holding to this, we are to ask, okay, in what sense then is Jesus the everlasting Father and the fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy? Well, the name of Father... It is one who is a leader of a family. That's the design God has given for a father. And a leader then leads by example, and those in the family are to follow that example. And and I think of 1 Peter 2.21, when Peter says that Jesus has left for us an example that we might follow in his steps. So Jesus is father-like in that quality of being a leader that we ought to follow. He is also father-like in the quality that from him all things go forward. You see, in the family, the patriarch, the head of the family, ought to be the father who leads the family, the children, the grandchildren, and the great-grandchildren. He is the patriarch. And from him and his wife, the family originates. And in the same way, Jesus is father-like in this quality that he created this earth. He created you. All things come from him. As John 1, 3 says, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So indeed, Jesus is fatherlike in these qualities, and indeed he is everlasting, which is to say he's got no finish line. He goes on from eternity past to eternity future because he is God. He's mighty God. Now for Jesus to take on this identity and to use the term father, it brings to mind for a lot of us the idea of father in our own lives. And so for many of us, the darkness that surrounds our world presently, our lives, oftentimes relates 
to this topic of fatherhood or fatherlessness in our own personal lives. And many of us carry the wounds of a bad relationship with our fathers. Or we, we, we have a longing for our father who's no longer in the picture. Or maybe the father we do have has been abusive. And so when we hear the word father, we're thinking of all these kind of things, and we're trying to make sense of it. And what I love about God is that he meets us right in that place. And he says, though you may have gaps in your life, though you may have a longing, there is a father in the heavens, our heavenly father, and there is his son Jesus, who is father-like in his qualities that you then can look to. In life. If you're a single parent today, single moms in particular, the greatest gift you can give to your son or daughter is to point them to the Heavenly Father who will never leave or forsake, who is good in all his ways, and to point them to Jesus who is fatherlike in his qualities. You see, Jesus is generous as a father ought to be. He gave his own life to rescue us. Jesus preserves us. The Bible says if we are found in Christ, we can be sure that when we die, we will inherit heaven because we are in him. He preserves us. That's a good quality. He protects us. When Satan, the accuser of God's people, comes and says, oh, but they did this, they did this, Jesus says, no, they're safe with me because I died on their behalf. He is our protector. And so when we look to Jesus, our everlasting Father in his Father-like qualities, we can say, wow, we have hope in him. See, Christmas is something amazing for us, family. God means to bring light to our darkness. But so long as we extract God out of our lives and keep him at arm's length, we won't know his joy. We won't know Jesus' counsel his might, and his father-like love and direction. Well, Isaiah says that Jesus is these qualities, and on top of that he adds, Jesus is the prince of peace. Every prince and every king wants peace to be in their lands. Because in times of peace, things are easy. In times of war, there is death, there is poverty, there is destruction, there is danger. And so every nation longs for peace. And this is why the Romans prided themselves in the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. And this is why we in America are thrilled about our peace. And we hold it and treasure it dearly, this declaration of independence that we are so grateful for. There there are kinds of national peace that we can all experience. But the prince of peace has come to bring a kind of peace that no empire, no leader could give or take away. And that is peace with God. You see, when God's people lived in darkness, they did so because of their rebellion. And really, they were just living out of their own identity, enemies of God. The Bible says from birth, that is our position. We're separated from God. There's hostility between us and God. Or uh, Genesis 3, uh, 15 says there's enmity. There's animosity between God and man. You're like, I'm not mad at God. When we live without him, we're displaying we don't need him, and we're saying we don't need him because we're good without him. There's animosity there, and God's not okay with that. And our sin has separated us from God. And the Bible says that this is our plight. 
And apart from Jesus, we're his enemies. But the prince of peace stepped in when sin was bullying us to do something about that. You see, the word peace is often used in the New Testament by the word reconciliation, to reconcile two parties who are at odds with one another. And Jesus has come to bring peace between God and man because there was friction between us. We deserve death. And I love how Romans 5.1 says, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the Prince of Peace. And it's not that God didn't judge our sin. He did judge your sin and my sin. If you are a Christian today, you must understand that your sin is punished. But you are not punished. Jesus was punished for you. And so when you look to Jesus and when you put your faith in him and believe in him, your sin was declared to Jesus and his righteousness was declared unto you. And so God punished your sin. He punished it on Jesus to bring peace in your life. Man, that's enough to shed light in your darkness. That is a God who loves you that much. And there are others of us here today maybe who've maintained God at an arm's length, a distance. So long as you keep God away, you don't have peace with God. In fact, the Bible says you're God's enemy. And God's, God's standing toward you, his posture toward you, is one of wrath. And you will be punished for your sin unless you trust in Jesus who took the punishment for you. This is the beauty of Christmas. Though we walk in darkness, God stepped in to give us light. I'll never fully understand why he showed us love and kindness in this way, but he has done it nonetheless. And in Isaiah's day, as these words came forward, people started wondering, is, you know, how, how can we know this will happen? How can we be sure that there's hope for us? Well, in verse 7 at the very end, the very last phrase, Isaiah says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Just in case there's any doubt, the zeal of God will do this. His zeal, which is to speak of his passion, he has a focus to fulfill his promise then to send Jesus, which he did. And it says, the zeal of the Lord of hosts. That title, the Lord of hosts, is to speak of the host, the heavenly host, the heavenly armies. Isaiah's saying is God is the God who's all-powerful and he's passionate about his promises and I can guarantee you he will fulfill it. And amen, he did. Man, if we fast forward to the book of Luke, we see on one day a young teenage girl, probably 15 years old, was alone And while she was alone, she had a visitor. And the visitor introduced himself to her as Gabriel. And the angel Gabriel looked at that 15-year-old girl, Mary, said, hey, Mary, I've got a message for you. You're going to become pregnant. And in your womb, there will be a child, and you will call his name Jesus. And then the angel Gabriel tells Mary, He will be great, and he will be called Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, 
and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. See, Angel Gabriel goes to Mary and tells her that she's going to have a child. And I mean, talk about spoiler alert, right? Hey, Mary, by the way, it's a boy. Well, so much for the test, right? Well, what should we name him? Oh, his name is Jesus. Well, I wonder what he's going to be when he grows up. A king. And he'll live forever. Like, there, there's, there's no surprises from Mary here. And what I love, though, is Mary asks a question. She says, how can this be? For I've never been with a man. She says, I'm a virgin. How can I have a child? And then the angel Gabriel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and he will cause you to conceive, and in your womb you will bo- you'll bear this child. But, but notice what Mary doesn't ask. And it, it, this hit me for the first time this week. Mary doesn't start asking questions about the identity of this child. She never says, wait, wait, hold up, hold up. You're telling me a king? Like, what do you mean a king? What does that even mean? The throne of David? What are you talking about? Living forever? She, she doesn't ask that question. In fact, she says, let it be to me as you have said. And so I'm starting to say, well, why doesn't Mary ask the question? Yes, how am I going to become pregnant? That's a good question. But there's a pretty strong second question there, like, what about this child? Where is this coming from? Well, I've come to the conclusion Mary doesn't need to ask that question because she knows the answer. You see, in Luke 2, we see that Mary was a mighty woman of God. And her, with the rest of God's people, had longed for God to fulfill the promises that they knew about in Isaiah 9. She knew that God was sending a king who would sit on the throne of David, his ancestors. She knew God was setting a king in place who would reign for eternity, who would be wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. She knew this. And now she's come to the realization that that child was in her womb. And it was that child who would grow up before her eyes, take on a cross, defeat his enemies and give life by raising from the dead to all that would trust in him. Man, that's the beauty. That's the beauty of Christmas. We serve a God who stood in the gap for us even when we didn't want him to. Well, this Christmas, if you are a Christian today, and by that it means that you are following Jesus, you've turned from the old you and follow Jesus, Hold on to these words. Hold on to the Jesus who came to be your wonderful counselor, mighty God, Prince of Peace, and Everlasting Father. I want to ask you, which of those four qualities of Jesus do you need to hear today? Which of those four do you need to understand he came for you? Because I encourage you to let that soak into your minds. Just marinate in that joint. Say, God, you have come to be that for me. And I know there are others of us here today who maybe have never, ever surrendered your life to Jesus, which means you don't believe he died on the cross for your sins, or at least you haven't believed it in such a way for it to change the way you live your life. And I just plead with you to not keep God at arm's length. Don't live with God extracted from your life. Just come to Jesus. For to us, a child was born, a son was given to be our Savior. So tonight, when the sun sets, 
and darkness comes over our land and the lights come up on the houses and in your tree, I want you to remember that when there was thick darkness, God gave a word. And he says, I'm going to come in your darkness to shine a light that only I could shine. And that light is Jesus. And so when you see those lights turn on today, let that cause you to worship our God who met you in your mess. And when darkness swirls around you, he has come to bring you joy, unspeakable joy through the mess. That's the God we serve. That's the God we worship. And that's the God that was in Mary's womb during Christmas. Let's pray. Oh, Lord. So thankful, God. I know how stubborn I can be. Arrogant, selfish, self-focused, God. Go on and on. And Lord, I know that in my actions, I often show that I want to keep you at arm's length. And Lord, I thank you. I thank you for sending Jesus to do something about that. And Lord, I thank you that when we put our faith in Jesus and believe in his perfect life, his death on our behalf, and his resurrection conquering death, that we then have eternal life and the hope of eternity. Lord, for my friends who are here today, for those who know you, Lord, Oh, let them see that you are their wonderful counselor, their mighty God, their everlasting Father, their Prince of Peace. And for others who don't know you, Lord, may today be that day that they raise their white flag and come to you and say, God, I surrender. Lord, let this be a Christmas that's been different from all the ones past because of a decision they make today. So, Lord, I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to close in a final song here, but I want you to think about this. You know, every week when we preach God's word, whether it be me or Jeremy or another, we we place before you a decision. We, We call you to action because God calls you to action. And sometimes that decision we choose to make is saying, God, I'm good with you over there and I'm going to stand over here. And we need to understand that the choosing to not trust God is an action just as choosing to live our lives for him is also a response. And we just pray that you'd make a response today. And our hope and prayer is that you would respond by saying, God, I need you. I'm, I'm going to come before you where the precious blood of Jesus was spilled to save me. And so we want to ask our prayer team, would you guys come forward to the back, front and here to the back right now? And prayer team, is, they're, they're, they're here to pray for you pray with you. You got a burden with you today. God's moving in your heart and you say, man, I need to know that God is my everlasting father today or he's my wonderful counselor or my mighty God or my prince of peace. Man, let one of these brothers and sisters pray for you. We delight in doing that. Let's rise to our feet, church family. And with this song of response, let's ask God, God, how do you want me to respond this afternoon? Let's sing together.